Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. All right, are you ready? Mm. I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me, because in His presence is where I live. Amen. You may be seated. Do you believe that this morning? Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. Well, um, we're going to go on just a little bit of a journey. Uh, it's been a while since we've gone through this, and this journey is twofold. Um, I'm going to be teaching you a little bit what I'm going to be teaching uh, people in Tanzania. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to First uh, John. And uh, we'll, uh, I've got two Sundays before I leave. Happy October, everyone. And, uh, and then uh, I'll be gone, I think, a couple Sundays, maybe only one, uh, maybe a couple Sundays, and then I'll be back, and then when I come back, we'll have Leif speaking that first week, and I'm back, and so I, I think I get in town on like the 31st of October, and then uh, Leif comes on the 3rd of November, and then we head out to Fort Wayne right after that, so it's going to be a, a whirlwind of a few days getting back, but it's all going to be good. I would ask that you keep me in prayer as I travel. Um, it is a long flight. It takes a while to get there. And um, I just pray that everything goes well going in and out of countries as well as uh, Tanzania and everything works out. I, I'd appreciate that. And then be ever vigilant in praying that I get home. So, <clears throat> all right. So uh, open up your Bibles to First uh, John. And um, we're going to take a, just kind of a, a little walk. And so I, I guess I say that to say uh, when I get back, we're uh, going to finish in First John, probably in November, and then um, I really feel like for December, um, we're going to take a journey through uh, Colossians. Uh, Colossians deals kind of with the preeminence of who Christ is, and so I thought, how appropriate for the Christmas season. Wow, I just said the Christmas season. Anybody ready? No. Well, there was Christmas in July. You had a lot of time to prepare, so, which I got to tell you, that ain't nothing but a marketing scheme. You already know that. Because I'll tell you what, right after Christmas is over, you're going to start seeing Valentine's Day stuff hit the shelves. I'm pretty sure that what didn't sell at Christmas, they repackaged for Valentine's Day. That's just, what, that's just my thought. All right. Just feeling a little, um, just being sensitive to the Spirit. Um, actually, let's, let's just pray. Father, um, Everything is prepared at your table. So, Lord, uh, I ask uh, for your spirit to be in this place. Lord, you can change directions. We will follow you. Uh, all this and your, this collection of people here today is about your glory. So I pray, God, that you would visit this place. But, Lord, also as you visit us here, I pray, God, that those who are watching online, you would, you would visit them where they're at right now. And I pray that you just touch them, Jesus. 
I pray that your spirit would manifest itself in their living rooms or wherever they're at. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So uh, just some thoughts. Uh, It's very possible that next week I will be baptizing someone. The rest of you will be baptized on the 15th. You got a couple weeks. But I'll probably be baptizing someone uh, next week because that's when they can make it. And so, um, so if you come in, you know you're, you're getting baptized, uh, and there's still time. If you're on the fence and you want to call the office, you can still do that. But um, you'll, you might come next week and see the baptismal up. Don't freak out. You didn't miss it. You didn't forget. Um, we just have somebody getting baptized that week because that's when they could make it. And that will be exciting. Mm. So First John... Um, Most historians believe that First uh, John was written by John. Sometimes you might read in your Bibles where they have like little um, introductions that explain the books. You may find out where um, they may give you uh, different ideas of maybe who wrote that certain book, uh, this, that, and the other, and it's, it's fine. They may give you like... Um, it's kind of the full scoop of what Christianity may be thinking about when the book was written, who it was written to, these kinds of stuff. And sometimes it can be hard to kind of go back and, uh, you know, know exactly. But usually there's like within the book, the book has been named the way it's been named because there's probably been some evidence in the book that has led to the name of the author. And so uh, in, in John, we believe it to be uh, John, the same one that wrote the Gospel of John. And as you begin to read it, you begin to see the similarities that exist between those two bodies of work. And, um, well, let's just get to the beginning. We're going to try and do just the first ten verses today, which is actually the first chapter. And here's what he says. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld with our hands, handled... Concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Um, What we have seen, what we have heard, we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, or some of you maybe say just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen. Interesting thing that he starts out with here is he says, that which was from the beginning. From the very first opening line, it connects us with the Gospel of John, which says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So in the Gospel of John, the very beginning opening um, chapter that you begin to read from him is his kind of definition or explanation of of who Jesus was. 
And the very things he says is that in the beginning was the word. Jesus was the living word of God. He, he begins to tell us that he is, uh, basically he always has been. He's never, he was not created. He wasn't an angel that came down and was the Messiah and then went back up to be the angel. He always was. He always will be. And he always is. He is God himself. And John goes to great lengths to show us the scriptures in his gospel of that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is divine. Some of these things are important because you're going to hear a lot of times throughout casual conversations or overhear people say, or, you know, you're clicking on Facebook and passing through videos and, and hear people say things like, Jesus never said that he was God or Jesus never proclaimed that he was the Son of God. And some of these things, for you being English, might be hard to understand because the revelations of who himself are not revelations that come in our timeline. They come, whenever you read the Bible, one of the main things you have to understand is that, first of all, the Bible wasn't written to you. The Bible was written for you. Okay? So when you read the Bible, you, what, what's important to do is understand, uh, do a little uh, historical theology, if you will, and uh, look back, and, and a, a good Bible to use for that are archaeological Bibles or cultural background Bibles. They are out there. And those are things that have gone through and look at like the history of when these things were written, when the Bible was written, and give you kind of like some understanding of the context of the times that it was written in. And why that is as important is that if you get an understanding of, the, of the, the time it was written, understand how they were speaking in those days, then you'll be able to pick up everything that John is communicating because the Bible wasn't written in English. I didn't know if you knew that. Okay? Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible has three basic languages, that, and two basic languages. The Bible is written in Hebrew and, and Koine Greek with a little bit of Aramaic in the Old Testament as well, too. So basically two languages, but there are three, a little bit of Aramaic. And so what we're doing is we're filtering those languages, right? Uh, Greek, we're fix, it, it's not, if, if you, you don't go to Greece if you've studied Koine Greek, and it's different right? So Koine Greek was the language of the time back in the New Testament, and everybody pretty much understood it. And so the Bible was written in that, I believe, for that purpose, so that even though you had people that would speak different language, everybody had a little bit of an understanding of the Greek of that day, the language of that day. And so the Bible, Bible is written through that. So you've got Hebrew guys, right, who have grown up uh, understanding what it means to be Jewish, understanding their Jewish under their Jewish Bible, old, which is our Old Testament, through the, through their context and through their understanding, passing that knowledge and the time that they've spent with Jesus into Greek, and then in the 1500s we start filtering that Greek language into English language of that day which in the 1600s, 1604 is where you finally get the King James Bible. There were Bibles before that. And so it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's not the first Bible. It's not the first English Bible, the King James. It's not the first English Bible. There was a Berean study Bible and uh, something else. And so, but they, they filtered this, and they have limited texts, you know, 
Uh, and so they, they're, they're taking the Greek, they're passing it through um, the English language within, that's in Europe at that time. And so people are getting the Bible in their language. Now, that was a very big thing because um, the church at that time did not believe that people should have the Bible and should be able to read the Bible for themselves. What they believed is that you had to have a, pa- you had to have a priest that would tell you what the Bible said. Now, can anybody see maybe a little problem with that? Yeah? Yeah, because when corruption seeps in uh, and, the, and, and the congregation is held illiterate, they can't go against the word of the priest because he's the only one that can read the Bible. So because he's the only one that can read and understand the Bible, what he's saying must be true. And so there's a lot of things that came that were really not good, that were forced upon people that sometimes had nothing to do with the Bible at all. So although, I forget how I want to say this correctly, although Jesus is pure and true, humanity does a really good job of corrupting things and using agendas and using the scripture to back their agendas instead of allowing scripture to be what it is and be at the center of them and and form everything of them around scripture. Sometimes there are people in the world that form scripture around themselves. And so that's where you get bad interpretations and explanations of, of scripture. So Bibles are coming through. They're coming out. They're coming in King James language. And now listen, the King, if you're in a King James Bible, you have to understand you're not using the same Bible that they did in the 1600s, okay? So if you happen to be a King James-only person, that's fine. It's not a bad translation because there are people that say that the King James Bible is, they believe it's authorized by God. It was authorized by King James, okay? I'm not saying it's a bad translation at all, but understand that the King James Bible that you're reading now is not the one from 1604. You would not understand the one written in 1604. Nobody would. It's very tough. Why? Because language over what, 400, 500 years, the English language has changed, and we don't use nearly the amount of words that they did. And a lot of the meanings of those words have changed. So, now you have a, 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 a several years, <laughs> decades updated of the King James language today. That's the one with the these and thous and thuses, right? But even in that translation, there are words that are used in that translation that will have a different meaning for you than what they are conveying in that translation. So, if you want to use the King James, use it. You just got to do more work when it comes to understanding the language of it. If the, I, and let me tell you, the King James Bible is a beautiful, beautiful translation. I mean, most of us have probably some background in whenever we would say the 23rd Psalm or whatever thing, the, the Lord's Prayer, it probably comes from a King James background. It probably does. And, and it's a beautiful, it's beautiful language. It, it's the way they are. It's, it really is. But it can be hard sometimes to understand because those words have changed over time. So you're like, well, well, that doesn't seem right. They, that's, that's just the way the world is working. Things, things change. And so why do we have so many Bible translations? I don't, most of them I think are pretty good. There are some Bible translations that I do not suggest that you read because they're, they're not really a translation. They're more of a paraphrase. And I'm not <clears throat> real excited about paraphrased Bibles. 
I do like Bibles that are considered translations. And what they do when they translate is they get the oldest text that they can get, which we have, which when the King James Version was written, we didn't have nearly as many texts as we do today. And so when we go back around and we're doing translation, we're grabbing all the texts that we have and people who are a lot smarter than me and gifted in, in languages are sitting together and trying to find out, okay, what is this saying in the context of what it was said, where the verbs, the tenses, all these different kinds of things, and they're putting it into an English Bible. And there's two ways that they put it into this Bible. There is called um, a thought for thought, which is your NIVs and your NLTs and stuff like that. And thought for thought is, is that they're grabbing the general thought of what is trying to be conveyed and they're putting it in very easy language for people to understand. And that's not bad at all. That's not bad. And then there's, there's formal translation, translations, which what they try to do is they try to be more of a word for word from the original texts of what they're seeing. And it's not just word for word, because when you're, when you're translating something from Greek, it's not like you're getting a, a complete English sentence, right? So there's fillers that they put in to make the sentence make, stay, make sense to us as we're reading, okay? So this is all good stuff. It helps us understand and to understand what the Bible is saying and what the writers were of the Bible, of the different books, were communicating at that time. This is important. So the word-for-word Bibles, which the King James would be considered a word-for-word. ESV is a word-for-word model. I use the NASB, 1995. It's thought to be probably the closest in um, direct word-for-word. But it's not just word-for-word. It's also what they do in that translation. So they want to make sure they capture from Greek almost the exact phrase of the sentence that they go through. Okay, and, and, and catch all of that, that that is in Greek and then translate that into English and then finally get it written down on a page for us. To so if you're doing a, a deep, deep Bible study uh, for yourself, you want to make sure you go into maybe a more of a word-for-word translation so you capture everything that is there. If you're doing devotional study, you can sit down with a, a thought for thought, an NIV, a devotional type of thing, and I do both. I have word for word, and I have several translations, and, and some of them, a lot of them are uh, dynamic or, or, or um, thought for thought, CSB, HCSB, um, a lot of different devotional type of Bibles, right? Because I believe that, you know, I, I've always thought this in Proverbs, it says that a king makes wise decisions with many counselors, and I've used that when my Bible, in like, you know, I, I think there's wisdom in having lots of translations, to get the fullness of, of what is being said in that moment. So uh, that's kind of a, a history a little bit so that when we get into, this, this stuff is important. It may not be exciting, you know. We're a charismatic church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. So why this won't lend itself maybe to the power of the Holy Spirit falling upon, it's important for us because we want to make sure that when we're reading our Bible, we have some basic understanding of where it comes from and then how to read it. And content and context is important because if we don't have that, then we are very capable of taking Scripture out of context and trying to apply it in a wrong way, either in our life or in the lives of others that we're ministering to. Does that make sense? So 
context is important, the meaning. And, and Scripture does not have many meanings. It has many applications, but it does not have many meanings. Okay? We good? All right, so that's the preamble to this constitution that I'm going to be speaking on today. So when we're looking at 1 John, we're noticing in the languages that they have looked at, they are seeing connections. They know from the writing style and the words that are used and the context of it that the guy who wrote 1 John was the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. As we're looking at this, we said he starts out, what was from the beginning? We see that happen in that connection in the Gospel of John, but we also see that connection, do we not, in the first book of the Bible. What does the first book and the first sentence of the Bible say? In the beginning, God. Simple as that. In the beginning, God. John in the New Testament, right, in his Gospel, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Right? So John is, is kind of just tying this beautiful knot that connects the beginning of the uh, Old Testament to the gospel, and the, which really means just good news, of the New Testament, so that they are connected together. So there are people that have said, hey, listen, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. I'm just going to read the New Testament because the Old Testament, Testament means covenant, doesn't matter because it wasn't written for me. But there's a problem with that type of thinking because the Old Testament, in its context, even though people may not have understood, the context of the Old Testament is always pointing, for the most part, is pointing to the fact that God is going to deal with the sin issue someday. The sin issue. And the sin issue is man's sin, right? Adam and Eve fell in Genesis chapter 3, and from that, sin has manifested itself into mankind. Now, it's not, Jewish scholars of that day may have not have come out and really said like what Romans may say, and that to the belief that um, uh, inherited sin, although they believe that everybody sinned, they, I don't know that they would have gone so far as to say you were, you were born in sin. They would have said that when you were a baby, you were born, and then you sinned, and then you were you are in trouble. We look at it and say, hey, listen, from Adam and Eve, they were representations. They have fallen. All of mankind came from them. So none of mankind kind came through the purity and innocence of Adam and Eve. We came through the sinful side of Adam and Eve. So when we are born, what is in us is this carnal flesh, this, this, this rebellion that lives within us. And everybody can hear and testify of your rebellious side. Some are more than others. Some have played the part better than others. Some have hid theirs better than others. And some are out and out just rebellious all over the altar, right? There's, there's a carnal side in us. And, and that becomes evident as we grow, okay? So the New Testament um, tie, connects to the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is pointing to the New Testament that there is a sin issue that has to be dealt with. And so there, there are things throughout the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah who is going to come. Isaiah talks about it. We, Deuteronomy gets in there with that, talking about the greater prophet that's going to come after Moses. And, and so every, there, there, the, it's pointing to where God is going to deal with the sin issue of mankind. Now, it happens in two ways. One, it happens through Jesus. So Jesus is the sacrifice for a sin. So right now we're living in the age of grace where all who call upon the name of the Lord are going to be saved through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. 
Make sense? But now there's, so that's that, what happened 2,000 years ago is what we're living in right now. But there's a time that's coming where Jesus is going to deal fine, in, in a, a final sense with the issue of sin. And he's going to come and collect all those who are his and all those who are not will be left out of the eternity side. When that day happens, the Bible tells us that there's no, there's no coming back. The decision has finally been made. His sheep are his sheep, and the others are, as the Bible describes, are, are goats. That, which means once he comes back, and once we're in eternity, those who have rejected the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, no matter how, how they cry on all that day. See, this is, this is why I think... In, the, in Revelation where he says he will dry all your, your tears. There's coming a day at the end when people will beg, will weep. It will be the greatest wailing in the history of mankind for those who have missed it and rejected him. I think there'll be a time when we'll recognize that those whom we loved on this earth that we may still love in that moment but are not going to see them in eternity. This is not a message to scare people into the kingdom. This is a message of God's love that says he's gone to great lengths and great patience so that all could have a chance while they have breath in their lung to give their life to him and to believe in Christ's salvation on the cross. The Bible says that our life is but a vapor. It's here once and then it's gone. So there are people who have lived their life on this earth who have never bended their knee or their heart to Jesus and they've left this earth and they've died. And at that point it's too late. And these writers of this book have gone, in the New Testament, have gone to great lengths to tell you who Jesus is, what he's done, and how to serve him. And John, in his introduction here, is saying that which was from the beginning, not just the beginning of their time, but the beginning of all time, and even before that. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes. So if you notice, if you're going to be a good Bible reader, the first thing you have to do is read the Bible and read it and reread it. You have to be somewhat of a, of, of a detective, kind of think, a Sherlock Holmes, when you're pouring over what these words are saying and what these mean. Because the more you pour into it, then uh, once you've, you observe everything that's in there, then you're going to move on to interpretation of what it means. And then from interpretation, you're going to move into how does it apply into my life. So you go first is observation, second is interpretation, and third then is application into your life. Okay? It's very simple. But you need to spend the most part of your time on observation. Getting everything you can out of the text. And as we look at this, we see that he's using some words here, isn't he? And the words that he's using is that what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld in our hands and handled 
concerning the word of life. So he's using some words there that are very important, I think, in that first verse to really for us to understand because what he's really saying is like, listen, I was an eyewitness to what was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own eyes. I held it. I scrutinized it. Right from the very beginning, he's using some very important words, isn't he? He's like, listen, it's not just, it's not just I heard about this guy. He's like, I was there. I, I saw Chris. I, I touched it. When we were talking, he was a real person. I, I, I beheld him. And so the Bible is being very, very descriptive about that point, or, or John is being very descriptive. And, and so that gives us a clue then. Why would he be so descriptive about that? Well, that's the question you ask in observation. You're like, well, I'm seeing all this stuff, so I got to ask questions, don't I? Why is he using these words? Why is he getting like so in, intense about seeing, heard, handled, scrutinized, beheld, all these different kinds of things? Well, if you, if you look back at the history of what is going on in the time, what we see happening in John's time is the beginning of what would become formal later on down the road is this thing called Gnosticism. Now, the Gnostics believed that all matter was evil, and it was only the spirit that was good. And everybody's like, yeah, this sounds good. I don't see anything inherently wrong with that. Well, let me ask you something. Have you ever crucified a spirit? Doesn't work, does it? So from the very beginning, we're seeing things that are happened back in this time. And John's uh, book here in 1 John is he's attacking what is beginning to start. And I, I think it kind of happens maybe from, this is just me. I think this is kind of almost like an extension of the Sadducees, right? Because the Sadducees didn't believe in any type of physical resurrection whatsoever. The Pharisees did, but the Sadducees were like, that's ah, all just spirit. There's no body, there's no resurrection, none of that kind of stuff. And Jesus in the Gospels was confronting the Sadducees when they were asking him questions, like, oh, you know, there's a guy who had a wife and he died and went to his brother, and so now there's seven brothers, and whose wife is he going to be in the resurrection? And he's like, you don't even know your own scriptures, right? He attacks them in the Old Testament of how silly their doctrine is. So I think from there and spreading what becomes Gnosticism later down the road, and there's more to it. I'm not saying that I'm giving you everything about Gnosticism. I'm just giving you this little part that I think John is dealing with right here. And John is saying, listen, he wasn't a spirit. I held him. I walked. I saw him. I heard him. I, I beheld him. I, I held him. My hands held him. I scrutinized this for three years. He wasn't a spirit. What we saw on the cross was a man. Spirits don't bleed. And so what they will attack then is the fact that Jesus was divine. You see, when he walked on this earth, there has to be not just that he was human, but that he was divine. Reason being... To go to the cross and be a pure sacrifice for a sin, there cannot be any sin in him. Or he is not the perfect sacrifice for sin. 
And so as we're walking through the scriptures, John is like, listen, they, they may not totally understand it. We may not totally understand it. But the Bible tells us is that there was this combination. He had to come as a man in physical. And this is why you look at the Matthew and Luke and you see that there's this crazy little thing, that, a big term that we call immaculate conception, where Jesus never had an earthly father, that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And people are like, oh, you're silly. You know, people have used excuses of getting pregnant out of wedlock all the time. And now this lady says the Holy Spirit did it and blah, 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 blah. And the Jews at that time came up with their own understanding. Oh, well, obviously she had an affair with a Roman. Why would they say that? Because it would delegitimize everything of Jesus because he wouldn't have even been a pure Jew. So, he's, so Mary is carrying him, not knowing a man, which means that Jesus does not carry the inherited sinfulness of mankind so that he remains perfect in his birth. And then he walks on the earth for 33 years. At 30 years of age, he takes on his ministry and doesn't sin. All of this for the purpose of going to a cross to reconcile mankind and the Father, and he takes upon himself all of the judgment of sin upon the cross to the point where that which was never separated in life or in eternity at that moment is separated when he cries out, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Because God the Father cannot look upon sin, and as his arms are stretched out, taking the weight of the world, it's not just the sin then, it's the sin of the past. It's the sin of the present. And it's your sin that you have committed now. That he, it's, it's falling on that cross in that moment. And those who will recognize it and will receive it will enter into salvation. And what salvation does, it takes you from darkness into light. And the light is his kingdom. And the light is the power of his Holy Spirit that now resides within you. So it's very important for us to understand and not take for granted those of you who've been in church all your life what the Bible is really saying. So John is attacking these very things and saying, man, I was there. I saw it. And I'm kind of in, you know, excited about this. And I can only imagine that John is excited and worried I'm thinking they thought maybe they would have seen Jesus come back in their lifetime. That's just my thought. I'm thinking that's probably what they thought. And now they're getting years past it. <clears throat> and they've seen a lot of the apostles die. Well, he's seen them all die. Or they've known that they've all died. Gruesome deaths. And he's the last one. So I'm thinking that from a humanistic standpoint, he's thinking, when I'm gone, when I'm gone, what will happen? He's writing these things out for us to understand. Now, there's also a trust that the Lord is going to continue the work that he started. And John says in, in chapter 2, he says, the life, it was manifested, which means it was revealed to us. His life was revealed to us. It was made known once what was hidden, what we couldn't understand before. Now he walked upon this earth and we were with him and it was shown to us this life that he was living and talking about. 
And again he goes in, and we have seen, and we bear witness, and we proclaim to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. He's saying everything that Jesus did and, and was shown to them was about a time coming where they would be physically resurrected with the Father, but also that while they're living on this earth and receiving what Jesus has said and done, that there was a life that came from the Father into them in that point in time. And it's the same life that is manifested to those who are Christians on the earth today. See, eternal life is in eternity. But the Holy Spirit is a down, is like a, a deposit of that, the eternalness of, of God in the life of the believer. I have a God conscience. Do you know that? We struggle with words of how to explain it. I'm just going to use God conscience. But there's the life of Jesus, the life of the Father, the Holy Spirit is living in me. What I, was never, what I was never convicted of before I met Jesus, I'm convicted of now that I have. Which means there's something that has happened in my life that wasn't something that I did. I just bowed my knee, and that life came into me. And all of a sudden, there were things where there's all of a sudden there's this consciousness within me that said, I don't think this is good for you anymore, certain things. Now listen. We get in trouble when I try to make my certain things your certain things. We all have certain things that we shouldn't do, but there are certain things that may be bad for you but aren't bad for me. Now, I shouldn't do them in front of you because I love you, but you can't come into my house and tell me what to do because of your conscience on things that don't matter to salvation, okay? Now, there are things that do, and there is a unity that we all are living under. Um, but there are things that don't. Now, listen, he goes, what we have, again, he goes into what we have seen and heard, we proclaim. Listen, when you have that evidence, and, and I'm here to tell you, uh, most of us have not met Jesus in the flesh. Most of us. There are people who have. His name was Paul. Paul saw Jesus in the flesh. Jesus already had died and already ascended. Paul had heard about, his name was Saul. Saul had heard about Jesus while Jesus was walking around. I don't think they ever connected. <laughs> but Saul got real busy about persecuting the church once it started and persecuting the way. And then he has this intense meeting that Acts tells us about, this meeting with Jesus face to face to where a light breaks through and people who are traveling with him see the light but don't hear the voice and Paul is changed from that day forward there are people on the earth today that say we're hearing reports about this in the Middle East I've said it before um, where the gospel is not really spoken much or allowed that cab drivers are reporting, different people are reporting Jesus showing up in a room or in a cab saying who he is and people getting radically saved and then going out and living this. So does Jesus show up today? Sure he does. I, there's no formula to this. 
he just does what he does. But for most of us, we probably won't see him before we see him. But we will sense him, and we will know his presence when it comes into the room, even though we may not be to see it with our ears. Our, the, the, the spirit of God that is within us reacts when the spirit of God comes into a room. And so there's this discernment that, no, when we've walked into a holy moment, a moment like Moses at the burning bush, where the voice comes out and says, take the sandals off your feet because you're on holy ground because the presence has come. Oh, we need those moments. Those aren't moments that have to be, you know, few and far between. Those moments can be a lot. And I think those moments begin to happen when we begin to, to put our lives around the understanding. Ooh, that comes out farther. That's even better. Put our lives around the understanding that I want to make room for the Holy Spirit to interrupt my day. I want to make room for the Holy Spirit to interrupt this service. I want a holy moment where he comes into the room, people. I want to know him. I would love to be able to say that I've seen him. I may not, but I do know that I will hear him because he is still speaking today. Now, it may not be an audible voice that comes from heaven, but I tell you, I'll recognize a voice when it speaks into my spirit. And I think he gets real excited when people start operating not from what they see or not necessarily what they hear out here, but what they sense, see, and hear from the Spirit of God. And they're ready to move at a moment's notice because they know he's walked into the room. See, these guys have lived three years with him. They've seen miracle after miracle, and you know what? It wasn't enough. All the miracles that Jesus did. John tells us, listen, if we recorded everything, I don't think all the books in the world could contain everything that we saw. What you're seeing in the Gospels is like cliff notes, people. It's like a, a short cliff note of, of his life of three years of walking. And John says, there's so much more that I don't think all the books in the world could contain this stuff, but here's what we got. So they've been with him for three years. They've seen all the miracles that he's done. They've played a part in miracles. They've heard all the words that, they, that he has said. But here's the thing. It wasn't enough to keep him from running. They've all probably said at one time, mostly you just hear from Peter, but I'm sure they've all said at one time, man, I'm going to be with you until death. You're it. We're going to follow you. And only John walks most of the way. Everybody else scatters. Peter gets in the outside court, fails, betrays him, denies him. All of them running, not knowing what's going to happen. It's only John that's there at the cross. Why do I say that? I say that because it's not enough for you to just read this book. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were great Bible study guys. But Jesus says you search for in the scriptures, but you're not really searching for truth. 
He's like, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. They would strain out the gnats from their wine and stuff like that. He's like, you're not really getting into what the scriptures are really saying and testifying about me. And Bible study in and of itself only will give you knowledge. Knowledge is not bad, but there is an experience that happens with the Holy Spirit. One at salvation and second. And salvation is the point where he lives with inside you. But there's another thing that happens that when he comes upon you. And too many of us are living without that moment. But when he comes upon you and he's within you, then, and this happens in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes upon these guys. Now these guys are going to go to the ends of the earth and give their lives, each and every one of them, for the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ. Nobody does that for a lie. Nobody. There are people that will deceive you and maybe right up into the point. But nobody does that because it's fake. They testify to what they've seen, the life that was manifested. And now they said, we've seen and we hear, and now we're going to proclaim it to you. And also, uh, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. It's interesting that he's saying our fellowship is with the Father because they never would have believed that as Jewish guys. That they could have the type of fellowship with the Father. There was always a separation. But Jesus said that there's a time coming where you won't ask me. You'll go directly to the Father. And he says that in the Gospel of John. You're going to go directly to the Father. And you will ask him. Hebrews tells us you can now go to the throne of grace boldly. Because the very purpose of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was so that Mankind could once, be recon- once again be reconciled to the father of everything. And he's a good dad who loves his children immensely. So today, where are you at? What do you believe? Because eternal life depends on it. Eternal life depends on it. You say, well, see, there's many different religions in the world. I know. And they all have a grave to where their leader is. I don't. My tomb is empty. See, he got up because he beat death. No one else did. The Bible tells me that when he ascended into heaven, that he took, led captivity. They were those of the past that went with him. And now he's coming back for those who are in him now at some point. And we are seeing the evidence on the earth that the Bible talks about are the birth pangs, the beginning of the times that are showing that his return is imminent. You say, well, Steve, they've been saying that for years and years and years and hundreds and hundreds of years and maybe thousands of years. And I know that they have. But now we're actually seeing Bible prophecy lived 
out in our time. And I'm telling you, I think time is short. Now, the word short is relative. <laughs> short to you is like, he should have been done five minutes ago. <laughs> short to Jesus maybe a hundred years from now. So I'm not telling you the day and time that he's coming, but I'm looking at the signs, and he said, you'll be able to tell by the signs that my return is coming. And I'm telling you, we're looking at the signs. You listen, don't listen to the crazy people, because they're out there too. Listen to the solid people that you've listened to on the radio all these years. The Dr. David Jeremiah's, the, all those different kinds of guys that are on Moody Radio, whatever. Everybody is saying, hey, listen, man, we're living this now. We... We were preparing for something, but we are actually seeing Bible prophecy begin to happen. And we're not telling you when or where, but we're telling you we believe that it's getting close. And so there's a couple things to do if you're living in that time. Just two things. Proclaim the message of Jesus to everyone you know. And prepare yourself. Prepare your heart and proclaim the message. And don't love your life so much that you won't give it to Jesus in all things. Amen? Stand with me. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.